section four of the works of robert g ingersoll volume three lectures shakespeare this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by william jones benita springs florida lecture one shakespeare parts six seven and eight part six of course it is admitted that there were many dramatists before and during the time of shakespeare but they were only the foothills of that mighty peak the top of which the clouds and mists still hide chapman and marlowe haywood and johnson webster beaumont and fletcher wrote some great lines and in the monotony of declamation now and then there is found a strain of genuine music but all of them together constituted only a herald of shakespeare in all those plays there is but a hint a prophecy of the great drama destined to revolutionize the poetic thought of the world shakespeare was the greatest of poets what greece and rome produced was great until his time lions make leopards tame the great poet is a great artist he is painter and sculptor the greatest pictures and statues have been painted and chiseled with words they outlast all others all the galleries in the world are poor and cheap compared with the statues and pictures in shakespeare's book language is made of pictures represented by sounds the outer world is a dictionary of the mind and the artist called the soul uses this dictionary of things to express what happens in the noiseless and invisible world of thought first a sound represents something in the outer world and afterwards something in the inner and this sound at last is represented by a mark and this mark stands for a picture and every brain is a gallery and the artists that is to say the souls exchange pictures and statues all art is of the same parentage the poet uses words makes pictures and statues of sound the sculptor expresses harmony proportion passion in marble the composer in music the painter in form and color the dramatist expresses himself not only in words not only paints these pictures but he expresses his thought in action shakespeare was not only a poet but a dramatist and expressed the ideal the poetic not only in words but in action there are the wit the humor the pathos the tragedy of situation of relation the dramatist speaks and acts through others his personality is lost the poet lives in the world of thought and feeling and to this the dramatist adds the world of action he creates characters that seem to act in accordance with their own natures and independently of him he compresses lives into hours tells us the secrets of the heart shows us the springs of action how desire bribes the judgment and corrupts the will how weak the reason is when passion pleads and how grand it is to stand for right against the world it is not enough to say fine things great things dramatic things must be done 
let me give you an illustration of dramatic incident accompanying the highest form of poetic expression macbeth having returned from the murder of duncan says to his wife methought i heard a voice cry sleep no more macbeth does murder sleep the innocent sleep sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care the death of each day's life sore labor's bath balm of hurt minds great nature's second course chief nourisher in life's feast still it cried sleep no more to all the house glamis hath murdered sleep and therefore cawdor shall sleep no more macbeth shall sleep no more she exclaims who was it that thus cried why worthy thane you do unbend your noble strength to think so brain-sickly of things get some water and wash this filthy witness from your hand why did you bring the daggers from the place macbeth was so overcome with horror at his own deed that he not only mistook his thoughts for the words of others but was so carried away and beyond himself that he brought with him the daggers the evidence of his guilt the daggers that he should have left with the dead this is dramatic in the same play the difference of feeling before and after the commission of a crime is illustrated to perfection when macbeth is on his way to assassinate the king the bell strikes and he says or whispers hear it not duncan for it is a knell afterward when the deed has been committed and a knocking is heard at the gate he cries wake duncan with thy knocking i would thou couldst let me give one more instance of dramatic action when antony speaks above the body of caesar he says you all do know this mantle i remember the first time ever caesar put it on twas on a summer's evening in his tent that day he overcame the nervi look in this place ran cassius's dagger through see what a rent the envious casca made through this the well-beloved brutus stabbed and as he plucked his cursed steel away mark how the blood of caesar followed it part seven there are men and many of them who are always trying to show that somebody else chiseled the statue or painted the picture that the poem is attributed to the wrong man and that the battle was really won by a subordinate of course shakespeare made use of the work of others and we might almost say of all others every writer must use the work of others the only question is how the accomplishments of other minds are used whether as a foundation to build fire or whether stolen to the end that the thief may make a reputation for himself without adding to the great structure of literature thousands of people have stolen stones from the Colosseum to make huts for themselves so thousands of writers have taken the thoughts of others with which to adorn themselves these are plagiarists but the man who takes the thought of another adds to it gives it intensity and poetic form throb and life is in the highest sense original shakespeare 
found nearly all of his facts in the writing of others and was indebted to others for most of the stories of his plays the question is not who furnished the stone or who owned the quarry but who chiseled the statue we now know all the books that shakespeare could have read and consequently know many of the sources of his information we find in pliny's natural history published in sixteen o one the following quote, the sea pontus evermore floweth and runneth out to the propontis but the sea never retireth back again with the impontus this was a raw material and out of it shakespeare made the following quote, like to the pontic sea whose icy current and compulsive course ne'er feels retiring ebb but keeps due on to the propontic and the hellespont even so my bloody thoughts with violent pace shall ne'er turn back ne'er ebb to humble love till that a capable and wide revenge swallow them up perhaps we can give an idea of the difference between shakespeare and other poets by a passage from lear when cordelia places her hand upon her father's head and speaks of the night and of the storm an ordinary poet might have said on such a night a dog should have stood against my fire a very great poet might have gone a step further and exclaimed on such a night mine enemy's dog should have stood against my fire but shakespeare said mine enemy's dog though he had bit me should have stood that night against my fire of all the poets of all the writers shakespeare is the most original he is as original as nature it may truthfully be said that nature wants stuff to vie strange forms with fancy to make another part eight there is in the greatest poetry a kind of extravagance that touches the infinite and in this shakespeare exceeds all others you will remember the description given of the voyage of paris in search of helen the seas and winds old wranglers made a truce and did him service he touched the ports desired and for an old aunt whom the greeks held captive he brought a grecian queen whose youth and freshness wrinkles apollo and makes stale the morning so in pericles when the father finds his daughter he cries out o helicanus strike me honoured sir give me a gash put me to present pain lest this great sea of joys rushing upon me or bear the shores of my mortality the greatest compliment that man has ever paid to the woman he adores is this line eyes that do mislead the morn nothing can be conceived more perfectly poetic in that marvellous play midsummer night's dream is one of the most extravagant things in literature thou rememberest since once i sat on a promontory and heard a mermaid on a dolphin's back uttering such dulcet and harmonious breath that the rude sea grew civil at her song and certain stars shot madly from their spheres to hear the sea-maid's music 
This is so marvelously told that it almost seems probable. So the description of Mark Antony. For his bounty there was no winter in it, and autumn twas that grew the more by reaping. His delights were dolphin-like. They showed his back above the element they lived in. Think on the astronomical scope and amplitude of this. Her bed is India. There she lies a pearl. Is there anything more intense than these words of Cleopatra? Rather on Nilus mud lay me stark naked, and let the waterflies blow me into abhorring. Or this of Isabella. The impression of keen whips I'd wear as rubies, and strip myself to death as to a bed that longing I've been sick for, ere I yield my body up to shame. Is there an intellectual man in the world who will not agree with this? Let me not live after my flame lacks oil to be the snuff of younger spirits. Can anything exceed the words of Troilus when parting with Cressida? We too, that with so many thousand sighs did buy each other, most poorly sell ourselves with the rude brevity and discharge of one. Injurious time now, with a robber's haste, crams his rich thievery up, he knows not how. As many farewells as be stars in heaven, with distinct breath and consigned kisses to them, he fumbles up into a loose adieu, and scants us with a single famished kiss, distasted with the salt of broken tears. Take this example, where pathos almost touches the grotesque. O oh, dear Juliet, why art thou yet so fair? Shall I believe that unsubstantial death is amorous, and that the lean, abhorred monster keeps thee here, in the dark, to be his paramour? Often, when reading the marvelous lines of Shakespeare, I feel that his thoughts are too subtle potent, tuned too sharp in sweetness for the capacity of my ruder powers. Sometimes I cry out, O oh, churl, write all, and leave no thoughts for those who follow after. End of section 4